Mano a Mano is a retrospective movie show for adults only, educational, satirical, transgressive. It's just entertainment. We'll not out to offend, but at the end of the day, Frank Zappa said it best. You either get it or you don't. Roll the tape. Welcome to Mano a Mano, where men can be men. My name is Jonathan Astro. With me is the masculine Ricky Orpike and the, uh, oh, I don't even know what to say, the, the, the rock hard Yuri. <laughs> <laughs> um, yep, sure. <laughs> I was talking about... I do have some other tabs open in the background, so I'm, I didn't <laughs> I think you'd be able to tell, but you know. <laughs> I was talking about your muscles and that, but that works too. Uh, we are gathered here, gentlemen. Uh, it's sort of, this is the, the final uh, installment of our Australia Day review session, and we are doing Romper Stomper from 1992, directed by Jeffrey Wright, written by the same. Um so yeah, I mean, what what what's 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 the go? <laughs> I I had a great time, and not 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 because I'm a white supremacist or anything, but just because mm. you know had a great time. And uh, it's been a long time since I've seen this movie. Actually, um, I wasn't old enough to see it when it came out, uh, but I saw it probably when I was at uni, and uh, and not again until now. I don't think. I think maybe I'd seen it. I think maybe in the late nineties. And um, because of a lot of, I think, quite specific things to my actual situation and the types of Aussie movies I'd been watching, I didn't particularly enjoy it back then. But watching it back now, I had a, I had a much better time and it wasn't kind of as, as bleak and, and really realistic as I remembered it. It, there was, it was a bit more stylish than what I had remembered. It's quite cinematic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But um, around the time I'd been watching... So I'd seen Metal Skin first, which was uh, the same director's follow-up to this one. And, um, you know, other movies like, I don't know, Mullet and Idiot Box and a lot of this oh, kind of 90s... <laughs> larrikin. Kind of low-budget type... And I mean, every, it was Larrikin, but it was all kind larrikin of Larrikin heists. But it was all shitty larrikin heists and everyone yes. was a dick and everyone was poor and everything was crap and, you know, it, it kind of... <laughs> and it well, there's some of that in this. There, there is, there is. But what I didn't kind of realise, um, I listened to uh, someone else's review of this movie is, yeah, like the late 90s, sorry, the late 80s and early 90s, Australia was in a recession. And that's actually when I started kind of watching a lot of Australian cinema and it kind of echoes that recession which is i think why it kind of put me on the back foot with aussie movies for the longest time and even late i mean even chopper's got some of that or like little fish and it's like man oh i'm just God. sick of Stop watching these all titles. these depressing aussie movies <laughs> so if you say one more of those titles i'm leaving okay you've mentioned idiot box little fish chopper i will let pass obviously no chopper is Yes, That's proper, the, the, but, the, the top know, tier one. We're going to say next, he died with a falafel in his hand. And <laughs> yeah, I saw that too. The rage at Placid Lake or whatever. Oh, I actually don't I, mind I, think that I, I think I missed that one. I think well, I whatever. Look, the point is, I, I get your point. This is cinematic. This is stylish. It's reference. See, because the thing is, in Australia, or most of those other movies you mentioned, we usually make movies like we don't watch movies. 
Mm. So this movie is made by someone who watches movies and it begins... And if you know anything about movies, you go, oh, this is like Clockwork Orange. You know, almost from yeah. the very the very beginning, the angles, the music, the, there's a whole bunch of stuff that makes you that these cues that you go, oh, th- this is this this is telling me something. This isn't a dialogue across decades between, you know, whatever d- conversation was going on in in Kubrick's film about about crime and whatever, and uh, and this movie, and and but it's bringing it, uh, its cultural specificity of Melbourne and and Footscray and and all of that to it, and a beautiful blend. That's why when when people are genuinely cinematic in this country, they they don't stay here. See, mm. you direct Chopper. And it's like Taxi Driver, and it's even got references to Taxi Driver and the you know the slow mo walking down the street and stuff like that. He he's in Hollywood, you know yep. what I mean? Uh, and well, and this well, Jeffrey Wright is not in Hollywood. He's he wasn't. Here. He wasn't, but he he did go to Hollywood briefly. You know what I mean? Like like did Cherry Falls and that. He could have like he blew his second feature, which isn't which isn't hard to do. But he was definitely tapped to go. You know what I mean? Whereas these other people we're talking about, they're not going to Hollywood. They're, they're suckling on the teat of the government and they just want development money. They want to get the new Tim Winton book or his fucking mm. short stories. No, whatever he's just, he's just, you know, I don't know, found on his Whatever he's called on a napkin. Yeah, yeah. And they just go, oh, this could make a feature. This could make a feature <laughs> film. Yes. <laughs> so, this movie that is so specifically about Margaret River, that'll yes. appeal to an audience outside of Margaret River, won't it? Yes. <laughs> People listening probably don't even know what Margaret River is. Nor should they. <laughs> but, but this film, this film was a big-titted hit. Although it, it comes with heaps of controversy, it made $3.2 million at the Australian box office, uh, the second highest grossing Australian film of the year behind Strictly Ballroom, which is a film like totally opposite to this. But another guy who, who's in Hollywood. Yes. Be- because... Yeah, yeah. You know, and, Ro- and Romeo and Juliet's a masterpiece. So, I mean, you know, like th- these guys have got it. You've got it or you don't. And um, so, but just before we move, you know, off on, onto different topics. So, I just, I saw this in, in high school. Like, I think I recorded it on TV or whatever. Or I managed to get hold of it somehow. And and it was one of those movies that we used to just, that was a bit famous in our little group. Like, we used to reference it all the time. We used to sing the song, skinhead, 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 and just like, sort of dance around, like pushing each other and stuff. So, I don't know whether that's what they wanted us to do in the movie, but that's what we're doing. And um, we used to just talk about that party scene and, you know... They just start, some of the stuff in it was just, just, just searing, you know, etched, etched in, our, in our brains. So much more operatic than I remember as well. And, and I heard someone kind of liken it to um, a, a Shakespeare play. It's sure. almost like, you know, these, these two friends and then the woman comes into the picture and it's kind of all about that relationship and it deteriorates. And it's almost like a, yes, like a Shakespearean tragedy that happens to be set in Melbourne. But, but also, it's the, the, this, this sim- before I get into the, the synopsis, it's the simplicity of the story, I think, that is, is the strength of this. And, and this, this, the, the paired back nature of the film. It's 90 minutes, in and out. The perspective is just right also. We're in the gang. Maybe we can talk about this later. I, the filmmaker, here's the difference. The filmmakers quite like Hando. That's the Russell Crowe character. They quite like him. And so do we, for that matter. And... It's, the movie has a moral neutrality and that's why it's good. So it presents, think about all the characters it presents with no outside comment that you wouldn't get today. So we've got like the dad who's a diddler, 
we've got um, the neo-Nazis and and we get to see them being, you know, friends and helping each other out and being tender and as well as being monsters. And Gabrielle is, you know, a terrible person as well as being crazy. <laughs> you know? so, so I just love th- that, um, yeah, the perspective of the film. It, it's... Um, it's really quite striking, and, and maybe we can get into it later of, of uh, you know, what's happened since. From Australia comes a film which exposes the reality of racial violence in Melbourne. Hatred, fear, and ignorance are their weapons. Nominated in 1992 for nine Australian Film Institute Awards. Romper Stomper. I don't want to be a white coolie in my own country because it's not our country anymore. Because rich people and powerful people put in boatloads of human trash. Maybe you got him enough now, Hand up. You want to knock over a house, do you? I want revenge. Who the hell are you? We came to wreck everything and ruin your life. God sent us. So, how do you know? He's my dad. I loved you. That wasn't love. You wanted me. Come on. Kill Bubs. Controversial and powerful stuff. The performances are fabulous. It's straight in the guts. Romper Stomper. All right, okay, let's get it done. So, set in Footscray uh, in Victoria, Romper Stomper follows a group of young neo-Nazi skinheads as they rage against what they perceive as an influx of Asian migrants into their spaces. We get a glimpse of their lifestyle in the first scene when they brutally bash three young uh, Asians in a train station. The film is centred around the friendship between the reserved Davy and the explosive and charismatic Hando, played by Big Russ. One night, they encounter a, an, an attractive oddball at their local pub called Gabrielle. Uh, Jacqueline McKenzie uh, is the actress. She's uh, at a loose end after running out on her junkie ex-boyfriend and Martin, her rich, rich sugar daddy. Uh, Hando and Gabrielle hit it off. You know how it goes. She's a manic depressive and he's a white power neo-Nazi. It's love. <laughs> at one of the group's raucous parties, we get the sense that Davy has feelings. This is the friend. Davy has feelings for Gabrielle as he's forced to wail on a punching bag downstairs as Gabrielle gets supremely railed by Hando upstairs. Disaster strikes when the boys uh, get wind that the lo- local pub has been sold to a Vietnamese family uh, and to be turned into a restaurant. The skinheads bum rush the sons of the new owner and beat them ruthlessly out the back of the pub. A brother of the uh, Asian boys returns from an errand to see the, uh, the beating unfolding and he takes off back to his family's restaurant uh, or local factory to get help. He returns with dozens of friends and, and a massive brawl ensues between the skinheads and the Vietnamese. The skinheads are completely overwhelmed and several of them are knocked out uh, with the rest of them fleeing back to their headquarters. The Vietnamese follow them uh, and begin to beat their way in, into the into HQ. Hando uh, uh, wants to go down in a blaze of glory, but Davy and the others are not so keen. Hando reluctantly agrees to flee across the rooftops to safety, which they do, with Davy gallantly rescuing Gabrielle's jacket in the nick of time, which I think is a very symbolic. Uh, they set up, they, so they're set up in a, in a warehouse, another warehouse, uh, and hatch a plan to retaliate. There's even talk of purchasing, purchasing firearms, which sees their female companions finally skip out. It's getting too dangerous. Gabrielle suggests that uh, they rob her sugar daddy, Martin. Uh, so they, they roll uh, up to Martin's mansion 
and she tricks her way in and then the skinheads uh, enter and tie him up uh, to a toilet and begin to ransack the place. While the skinheads carouse, uh, drinking wine, smashing up cars, uh, we discover that Martin is in fact Gabrielle's father and that he's been abusing her since she was young. Meanwhile, the younger skinhead, Bub, steals a firearm uh, but is disappointed that the firing pin has been filed down. So Martin, the dad, manages to escape his confines and grabs a working pistol and chases Davy and Gabrielle out and, well, and the other skinheads out of the house, firing wildly into the night. Back at the warehouse, Hando and Gabrielle have a fight. Uh, she calls him a loser for screwing up at the heist and he hits her. Needless to say, their relationship is over. She takes off and Davy follows suit, giving Gabrielle an address that she can find him at. He's making his play. Gabrielle reports the skinheads to the cops and they, uh, the cops storm the warehouse, arresting the remaining members of, um, and shooting young Bubs, thinking that his handgun uh, was the genuine article. Hando manages to escape and he tracks down Gabrielle and Davy at Davy's grandmother's home where they've shacked up. Uh, believing the cops will descend soon, the trio hit the road and head, head to Adelaide, I think is the plan. On the way, they rob a pet- uh, petrol station um, and Hando murders the shop attendant. The next day, uh, they stop at Bell's Beach and Gabrielle overhears Hando trying to convince Davy to abandon Gabrielle. Gabrielle burns the car, their, their, their car in retaliation and admits to Hando that she called the cops on him. Hando tries to strangle her. Davy intervenes and the men fight. The action spills down onto the beach with Hando try, uh, trying to drown Davy in the surf and then attempting to finish his strangulation of Gabrielle. Davy comes up, comes to the rescue and stabs Hando in the neck with a Nazi, his Nazi blade and he dies on the beach in front of a, a group of confused Japanese tourists. The end. That's the movie. And it's got that great shot where it's like Hando's perspective of the ocean, which is like, uh, what is it, like sideways. And yes. then the, credit, the credits P-O-V. roll. POV. Hando's, Hando's death, POV. Yep. It's such a boss way to end the movie, I reckon. It is. I think that's 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 symbolic of of the out, of the uh, outrageous and effective style of the entire film. This is a young person's movie. This is made by a young person. I mean, the only per- there are a couple of people in who can break the rules, and that's George Miller with uh, Fury Road, <laughs> who, who I think made a film that seemed uh, like it was made by a twenty-three year old. Uh, Woody Allen did his version of that in Match Point. Uh, it looked like it was made by a very young man, uh, and uh, here we have. This is definitely. Young, young energy, you know, throwing the camera around, just bold, dangerous, exciting. Well, can, can we really say that this film glorifies being a neo-Nazi in Footscray? Because, you know, all the skinheads in this film are losers. <laughs> they, they live in squalor and filth. They've got, they've got no jobs and no prospects. You know, they, they even fuck up the robbery at Gabe's dad's house because they're too busy, like, fucking up his Japanese-made car. What is it, a Toyota Corolla or something? It's a Nissan Skyline. There you go. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it may be fun to hang out with them for an hour and a half, but this idea that Romper Stomper is going to bring on the second coming of Adolf Hitler is is a bit much. Do, do you guys agree? I, I Totally. And because it's horrible, and I don't like any of them, and I don't want to be around any of them. And one of, personally, my problems with this movie is... Um, a lot of uh, I've realized what's quite important to me is I like the world that movies occupy and I like hanging out in like when I like a world and I like hanging out in that movie I like the movie more this world fucking sucks these people suck everyone's the worst so I don't think it's glorifying anything and in the end yeah they lose their gang they get their asses kicked by the Vietnamese they get their asses kicked by the cops and then they start stabbing each other Mm. and it's like 
I don't I don't see how anyone thinks they could possibly be glorifying skinheads. In Goodfellas and Boogie Nights, you get pretty much half the movie of great times. You know what I yes. mean? So you get to re- you get to go. Oh, I get to wear these clothes and hear that music and hang out with the, with Frankie Bones yep. and all these different cool characters. You know, like hey, what's up, gay? All that good, all that great stuff. And then it still it slowly starts to turn. Whereas here, they fuck up real quick. They have a party. And then pretty much it's downhill from there. And I mean, even that, that party sucks. It's it's not getting an extra <laughs> table put at the front of the Copa, you know, while you go through the bag exit and they no. put down a special table for that's you. That's cool. That's cool. It, this that's is just... awesome. They have the shittiest party where they just jump around in a shitty warehouse. It made a lot warehouse. more sense when I was younger, though. It made a lot more sense because remember, we're middle-aged men. So, it's like we don't have that... I don't know, that urge to just break everything. <laughs> well, and, and <laughs> Jump around and break everything. I, I'm sure it may have been similar for, for your guys' situation, but at least for me, when I was young, the parties I was having is there'd be five of us sitting around wondering where there might possibly be a girl. And then just <laughs> if nothing. they exist. If they and then were- all of us chipping in and, and once in a while being able to afford a pizza. So anything was better than our fucking, well, at least the parties I used to go to. Um, so, you know, the fact that they had music, there was, you know, a lot of them and there was a few girls around. I'm like, oh, wicked party. But, you know, looking back on it's it, it's disgusting. Like, oh, it's yeah. fucking horrible. It's disgusting. And it would stink. And, uh, and yeah. everyone's like got just vomit over them and... Just even the kissing is gross. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, uh, like yeah, yeah, tongues tongue. like down people's throats. And, and you're like, oh, God. Any parties happening in this sh- shitty town? Pulling on the boots and dragging up the laces. Shaving our heads and stepping on the faces. Now you are a skinhead looking for a boy. Skinhead, skinhead, running through the night. Skinhead, skinhead, running through the night. Making lots of trouble. But this monkey see, monkey do mentality that, that a lot of people have, I, I think rather than inspire action films like Romper Stomper, that, like, as you said, Yuri, you get to be a part of that world, but I think you also get to explore a dark side of your humanity because we all have dark sides, but then we're able to go about our lives as relatively normal law-abiding citizens afterwards, you know. I actually watched this on DVD because um, I, I own it, and for the first time I clicked onto the special features and there was quite a few interviews by um, the director and they were done as part of the promotional material. So at the time, and he addressed this whole, you know, inspiring people to do bad things. And, and um, he kind of had a bit of a swipe at critics saying that, you know, there's this notion of um, like the unintelligent audience where every critic is thinks they're able to watch a movie like this and not be, um, influenced by it but they assume that oh someone out there will be and because they think they're so much more intelligent than any of the other audience members and and the director was like yeah i I don't hold to that i've he said i've spoken to many people and encountered many many different people who have seen this movie and it didn't inspire any of them to go join a skinhead gang or anything like that it's like yeah people are they understand what's a movie and what's not Movies don't create psychos; they just make psychos more creative. Yes. Well, I believe that's true. Like, like in my trivia, I do, I do uh, have a couple of guys that apparently were inspired by this uh, to kill some people. But 
I would argue that they would they would have done that anyway yeah. because they're fucking psychos. Yes, you know, they they didn't they didn't just you know they weren't just kind of easygoing normal functional people in in society and then they watch this movie and then all of a sudden they they go out and kill someone. But but this is what I was talking about the perspective of the film. So we're in this gang and I don't care what anyone says. This this movie doesn't judge the skinheads in the way that you would now. All the cues that you would expect aren't there so there's there's no long i don't know di- dialogue of someone deconstructing them or, or ma- yeah just really making them look um articulating why they suck and everything like in fact you know we, we get this i mean i've already mentioned it but you know hando being tender with bubs and saying i thought you're going to be my little scout like you know or, or he, he's quite eloquent as well when he's reading mind kampf and um you know uh uh, he's he's assertive and you know he does look after Davy too. Like he 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 picks him off the stairs because he's passed out, and he puts right. puts puts a pillow under his head and puts the jacket over him. And the dad, who's a diddler, he he rescues her when we don't know that. Like he res- so you actually like him at the beginning. You like him. You go, oh oh, you know they've always got a weird relationship. Like he's a, he's a sugar daddy or whatever. But at the same time, he's rescued her from this idiot junkie. And so the movie's doing what it's meant to do. It's 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 playing with your expectations it's 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 making you complicit it's making you uncomfortable it's challenging you and um i think that that's what a, a movie should do this movie should uh, in fact i would argue that 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 beating at the beginning appeals to some ve- in the train station appeals to some very dark impulses not necessarily to take out the, the, the race of the people it doesn't matter just someone you don't like someone on the street you don't like and just beating the living daylights out of them and and looking cool while you're doing it you know, and and then even the, the one of the coolest things in the movie is um, barreling the camera, and they just go fuck off, and then it goes romper stomping on the screen yeah, like yeah. that's cool. What did you run into me for? They made a might that guy push me. What did you run into me for? No. What are you doing? What are you doing here? I'm gonna tell you something. I want you to listen to me, okay? This is not your country. Fuck off! So I just feel like all of this, uh, and he's already said it, the director said it in one of these articles you sent, Ricky. He he said that, oh, he used the word political readiness. He he should have used another word, you know, but his version is, oh, it's very... See, he doesn't know how bad it is. He's like, oh... Oh, things are so politically correct now, and you just go, bro, <laughs> you don't, you don't know the fucking half of it. Like the, he, he just is. He wants to be an old school filmmaker. You don't get to like be Kubrick and say mad shit and do do stuff that doesn't even make sense. Film it and go. Oh, are we meant to like Hannah? And, you, and you're sitting there in the screening room, him just going. He probably go like, I don't know. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. You know. Whereas the Funny Bodies now would force you to to go. Okay, now have your Make sure you have the disclaimer. Have the character, you know, like uh, the the Antifa character. Have them be the hero, you know, or whatever, you know. Apparently, that's what's in the remake, which is a TV series. Apparently, it's skinheads versus Antifa. Well, I'm interested to see it. I, I haven't seen it, but I'm interested because, I mean, the fact that it wasn't picked up for another series says everything. Because if it's, if it's a one and done, then no one wants a one and done. So... 
but the fact that that it's Antifa, I mean, I, I just want to know because actually that was the question I had. That one of my only criticisms of the film was the only people that were portrayed as completely saintly were the Vietnamese. So that was the only group that like they had the dad you know he's buying a restaurant for his sons and going you know and we're and that's all real but there could have been one guy in his family who was a bad hombre like there could have been one and then you'd go oh and then it's even more complex reminds me of a story it's just very short but see i used to live near victoria street in melbourne victoria street's famous uh just drug addled street of heroin addicts and everything people wandering around a lot of uh, uh asian vietnamese you know grocers and all that all along that street and restaurants and things like that talk to a, katie my wife talked to a lawyer once there was a research she was doing who does work in that area hum, a human rights lawyer or something and then she was like researching about the vietnamese community and saying oh it's terrible that like you know that they have to put up with um you know the drug problem there and everything and this person said and this was striking they said well you know and they weren't talking about everyone there but they were talking about some of the shops i said well who do you think selling them the drugs and i went and and, and that was such a striking comment you know what i mean whether it's true or not i can't, I can't verify but it's it, it you know to use the woke language it problematizes the whole thing you know mm. like there could have been one character who was you know if they did that then the controversy would have been even bigger you know, it's already, it's already marred in controversy because of the skinhead thing. And then if you if you paint the Vietnamese in a, you know, in a slightly as bad human. light as well, as capable or, or of as human, human flaws. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you need to make sure that they are completely saintly. I actually yes. kind of think like the reason why I would give it a pass is that you just don't spend enough time with them to get into that. Yeah. Which uh, I have actually seen as a uh, knock on the film that the you know that the, they were i think someone was trying to allude that it was racist that the vietnamese characters are only used as plot devices to propel the story forward i see yeah well we do we, we don't really spend enough time with them really i mean we we, we only get a little sense of who they are and i don't think the movie calls for it i don't think it would have been made better um, to spend more time with them, I don't that's think that's what it's about. That's dangerous, though, isn't it? But that's what, but also that's why I kind of give them the pass on not having. Like, I just don't think there was enough time to make at least one of them a dickhead. But I also love that they are in love with Hando so much that that they, they won't get that. There's so much real estate given to these bad characters. That's good. I wouldn't want that taken away. Mm. If we were adding, I'd go okay. But if we were taking away from. Like you, you, you kind of had a couple at the beginning that were, you know, when the um, the first guy who got beaten up when he went to that first restaurant to try and recruit help, oh and yeah, like the two, the two, um, it seemed I assume they were maybe wealthier, you know, young Vietnamese guys refused to, you know, join up, yeah, and then even at the end, as as um, the first guy's walking out, like a skinny kid goes, "Hey, I'll join," and he goes, "We don't, we don't need a weakling." We've got yes. used for a weakling. So, you know, there was some shittiness there. So how come their toxic masculinity is beautiful? Why is that okay? You know? Well, I mean, I think it's only okay today. <laughs> That's right. I got a question. Why is Russell Crowe so fat now? How old is he? He he's pretty old. Tom Cruise is sixty. Yeah, but what? Tom Tom Cruise has got all that Scientology behind him. That's what keeps him fit <laughs> and healthy. I only say this because I love Russell. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, young Scientologists, like virile early twenties young Scientologists, are having their blood drained and then put oh, yeah. into Tom. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. He's getting all that virgin blood and stuff. I get all that, but but still, come on. Like, I mean, or is it, or is it in in Hollywood? Is it you're either a a, a literal steroid junkie like the actors we see now, who are just like they are all yep. steroid junkies, like actual steroid junkies, yeah, like The Rock, all of them, right? They have to be. Look at them. Yeah, hundred percent. Allegedly, I say yeah. allegedly, and um, Russell Crowe. Because he's the normal guy, he's just, that's what a normal guy looks like. He's, you know, if you drink and... Well, well, I've just done a quick search. He's 58. Yeah. Well, he's he's enormous. He's big every time. Every time he looks, he looks like, I don't know, that solid, big belly. I think he's just been having a good time. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, doesn't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. There's nowhere to go with that. I just, I want him. He looks so fucking beautiful in this movie. I mean, he's young. He's young, but at the mm. same time, he's he. I reckon if you quizzed a bunch of chicks and you said hot or not, if you covered up the I don't know the Nazi stuff and you said hot or not, they'd go hot definitely. And it maybe don't even cover it up for some of them. They'd probably go yes. yep, still hot. Yeah. You know, particularly maybe even on the left because I mean they don't care about Jewish people. So, my camp. You know, it's about war, isn't it? This book was written by Adolf Hitler. It turned into a joke by a lot of people who don't want to know Hitler's view of the world. It's simply about the ongoing struggle of the white race and the enemies it faces. If you don't know who the enemy is, you can't win the war. Listen. All the noble cultures of the past declined because the purity and vigor of the originally creative race faded out. They were compromised by the seed of lesser races. They were attracted to the works of the superior men. The undeniable reason for their decline was then due to a kind of racial blood poisoning. Racial blood must then be preserved in its purity at all costs. Well, well, when when he's reading Mein Kampf to uh, to Gab, she's like she's really into into him. What when he's reading it, yeah. like more like you can see her getting more and more into him as he's reading. So I don't know what that says about her, but she is crazy hot, don't you think? She's got she's got the tarot cards, the tap dancing shoes. She believes that when she has kids, her mother will be reincarnated as one of them. It's the kind of shit that that's super hot when a chick is twenty one, but not not so much when she's forty one. I got a lot to say. Okay, <laughs> you just, you just, I got a lot to say. Yuri, this is too close to home. All this, this chick in this movie. Um, I've dated crazy women. Okay, I've dated crazy women, and this portrayal deserved an Oscar for. I mean, you mentioned it, Ricky, some of the stuff, but you left out some stuff. Singing to herself, doing braids in her hair, yes. jumping on the bed, regarding crabs at the beach. Uh, uh, being hot in the sack, by the way, is would is definitely always well, involved. Well, that, that just wait till you get to my trivia. And be- and being <laughs> being horribly vindictive as well, like calling the cops, and not because she cares about Asian people. You know what I mean? Like she called. No, the no, cops she, she only did it when she got slighted. booted. Yeah, she's yeah, been slighted. Right. Yeah, and I, I don't know. Like, I think I think I might have the hots for Jacqueline McKenzie. I think I might have the hots for her. Like, I can't stop thinking about it. That, that, that scene with her and Hando 
looms large in my brain from like my whole life. Like just that sex scene. Hey, you're awake. <laughs> Bought my bag up from downstairs. I didn't get to salvage much from the place where I was living. Some idiot tore it all up. Easy for that dancing. See? That don't fit me anymore. That's a picture of my mum. Isn't she beautiful? Everyone says I look like her. I'm not saying I'm good looking, I'm not saying that. But we do look alike. She's dead now. It's a car accident. She had her head chopped off. I think it's good to be able to talk about these things without cracking up, you know? Besides, I know she's still with me somehow. I think that when I have kids, she'll be one of them. Yeah, sort of reincarnated. I hated her so much. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I hate so much. I hate so much about the things she chooses to be. To be. No, um, I think I uh, pretty early, like I, I, I did um, art all through high school. So I kind of hang ar- hung around with like the art group. And I kind of got my fill of annoying arty chicks pretty early on. So yeah. all that stuff for me was just annoying, annoying as hell. But at least she was painted as like, you know, capable of being a bad person. Like, you know, because she was on, you know, she's manic and, you know, depressed and she's on pills. And at the end of the day... Epileptic as well. Ep- well, sure. All right. But 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 she seemed like she had a, a suite of problems. She was also... She's also a... um. Uh, you know what do we? What's the word we use now? A survivor. Uh, mm. uh, you know, I think that's what you have to call them. So now, well, the movie would probably be about her now, and it would be a very different. Like it, this was such a neutral. Like she was. A, it's very human. You're you're allowed. She's again just like all the other characters. She's allowed to be bad. She's allowed to be annoying. She's allowed to be all this stuff. You know. Whereas now, you're not allowed to do any of that. She'd have to be heroic. She'd have to. She'd have again as if she wouldn't be killing Hando. She'd be fucking fly kicking him on the beach <laughs> kicking yes. his head off fly kicking his head off of all the people she's got the most reasons to be how she is because i mean yeah to be abused by your dad is i mean horrific the thing is though is you don't really know anything of the backstory of any of these skinheads at all mm. no. like that's that's what's kind of interesting about the film is it sort of drops you in there and it, it doesn't really care where the you know the the journey that but these people the have taken to get there. Heat doesn't fuck around. It's yeah. about that the, the actors know, Michael Mann knows, and the and the action is what it is. We don't sit around saying, "Oh, remember when remember when I I, I did blah blah blah." Mm. That's the worst. This movie just goes, "Yeah, they've got it sorted and we can guess and yeah. maybe there's some cues in there, but um it doesn't matter. Like we we we're, we're we're living now." Well, I've got two questions. The the two weirdo looking like hanger on moles uh, are they trans folk? Because they they don't look like the kind of chicks that blokey skinheads would be into. Like I don't know much about the punk scene back in the day, but they're weird, right? I, I think they're just unattractive women. And did you say did you say unattractive women? Yes. <laughs> don't You're don't canceled. don't say it like don't like don't mumble it. Just put it out there. Say, <laughs> I think 
I wasn't trying I to think mumble it. They're unattractive women. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. I I think they're just ugly moles. Disgustos. Yeah. Think that. <laughs> and and the, and the one that okay. the one that came down from Canberra as well. She and, was mildly better than the others. Uh, just mildly. If you had to choose, if come on, if I said, all right, here's the three of them. What do you reckon? Maybe definitely not the maybe. one with the with the coloured braids and the manly looking face. Well, mm, a, not a, a, no need to be of, personal. I think part of almost the 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 kind of contradiction is that they're crazy homophobic, but their women look very masculine. <laughs> and weird. like, the, and you know, weird. the one that came down from Canberra, she's a skinhead as well, apart from this like small little tuft at the front, yeah. and even in like American History X. Um, you know, the women there have got the, the very shaved kind of quite masculine kind of haircuts. It's kink. It's like, um, it's, it is, there is something going on there. I don't know what, or maybe it's as simple as, yeah, we, it's a homoerotic thing, you know? I don't, I don't know. I don't know, but it's, um, it, I think it kind of lends to part of why, um, shit, what's her name? Gabby? Gabe? Gab. Gabriel, Gab. yeah. Uh, you know, why she immediately becomes so appealing is... She's actually a, a feminine-looking girl. Fit, feminine-friendly. Yes. Certainly compared to, <laughs> you know, the other ones that hang around them. All right. Well, my second question was, was it too far to have a busload of Asian tourists taking heaps of photos at the end of this film? That 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 was one of that was one of David Str- uh, Stratton's gripes actually with the film, and and we'll get into him through my reviews, but. His criticism was was that that just put it over the top, like having these Asian tourists come out with cameras and. I think that was the only part of the movie that, to me, bordered on racist, well, because like the amount of video cameras and like everyone had a stills camera and there was like two <laughs> video cameras as well. It's like, okay, that's a stereotype, and I think that's as close as this movie actually comes. But to racism. I've, I've got to say, I, I have experienced that. Like I have seen. Asian people like go overboard with, with, with photos and stuff. So, well, it's I don't not know just, it's, look, we can be specific in this case. They are Japanese and um, at least they had the, um, they have a nice bit of dialogue between two Japanese people. And it's, that's exactly what they would say as well. Very casual. I was just like, I, I, I was like, yeah, that's exactly what they would say. Yeah. Do you and, think they're um, okay? Like showing concern. Yeah, yeah, but just the way they said it as well. Their performance is really like they, they were like they're, they're quite droll actually. They're they're, they're like uh, which is is nice. But the cameras thing, it, it look it it hasn't it's come from somewhere, you know. Like the thing is, uh, Japan in the eighties was was like uh, electronics leader, and a lot of those companies are Japanese companies, yeah. and they're very proud of 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 their products and. You know, it is it is a thing. Like I think there was a I don't know I, I can't verify how it's going now, but there certainly was a period where they were getting they were shoot they were shooting a lot more than we were. You know what 100%. I mean? Yeah. Well, they were leading the world in electronics at that at that time. Yeah, so. that's right. But 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 to your point, I think I think it's a tricky one. It rides a line because the thing is, I think it's edgy. It have it, it's 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 quite brilliant in a way to have you know Hando's last moments be captured by the people he hates the most. That's that's nice, in a way. And and where are they? They're not at some random beach. They're at Bell's Beach. That is a yeah. famous beach. That is yeah. that is where people go. 
you know, where tourists go. So if it was... That's, that's where Bodhi went to die. That is. It's in Point Break. Yeah, that's right. So if, if this was a random beach, you'd go, okay, this is a bit... But it's, this is fucking Bell's Beach, man. So come on. Like, this is a famous beach. It's, it's within the realms. It rides the line, um, but I'm okay with it. And I think Japanese people would be okay with it too. I'm going to speak for all of them. Okay. <laughs> well, I think, I think they could have done it slightly... They could have paired it back a little bit, like not have them all come out with cameras, you know? Yeah. In hindsight, I, I do think it was maybe a little bit in keeping with the film because it was so much more stylized than I remember. It's like everything is maybe a little bit heightened... So. This was a it was that's a Kubrickian touch in a way like it's it's an outrageous thing that that you you know it's a bit like or or something like a similar sort of thing in um there will be blood I'm finished mm. <laughs> this final ending then we cut like I mean they could have gone for it even more and had like you know you know, ended on on one of their lines or something and but they didn't go for it you know they just they ended on with hand, Hando but look it's at least we're talking about it. at least it's fucking something at least it's something you know. How many, there are decades of Australian movies that we just we're not saying anything about. No, you know? that's true. Yeah, one line I love is uh, when they break into the dad's place, and the one guy says, "We came to wreck everything and ruin your life. God sent us." This is my, one of my favourite lines. Yeah, so his good. performance was wonderful. He steals. He does steal his scenes. That guy. Yeah, he is good. Yeah. Who the hell are you? We came to wreck everything and ruin your life. God sent us. Although my favourite character is Pommy Bill. <laughs> At the beginning, he's the hard the man who who restrains the the junk uh, Gabrielle's junkie ex boyfriend. He was the best. This <laughs> giant English dude with like twisted up moustache, and you barely get a look at him, and you just kind of hear him in the background. And he's restraining the junkie, but he keeps calling him sir. Yes. Oh, yes. And there's yeah. one line. You want to stop struggling, goes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> you like punching up girls, do you, sir? It's like, oh, well, okay then, sir. You want to do it that way? And he's like, as he's just beating the shit out of him or whatever he's doing, <laughs> like just off camera. Pommy Bill was the best. I think he's like the only character I have that's just uh, flawless, like without... I just love that guy. Flawless victory. It's, what is he like? A, a, a well-trained butler turn like bodyguard or something? I, I think it's almost it, it's almost like a like a, a precursor to Bane or something. He's like this giant menacing dude who just happens to have this weird, almost aristocratic type voice and manner about him. The music. How good's the music? The music is very good. Yeah. My my first note when when it started was just awesome title track. Yeah, it's great. So it's original music by John Clifford White. Uh, it, 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 so there's sort of two two main parts to the to the, the the score. So you've got this orchestral score with with brass and strings and some percussion, and they put some effects on that as well. Uh, the effect you probably notice the most is delay. Uh, there's also some subtle electronic elements that blend really well with the orchestral stuff. Uh, sometimes composers use like both acoustics and electrics and, and it, it doesn't it kind of sounds like two very different elements and they don't blend so well but I think this one this one did it well
but but the other element is uh, the composer. He formed like a punk band and wrote these neo-Nazi oi sort of things that the songs that you hear in the film, um, like pulling on the boots which has lyrics like pulling on the boots and threading up the laces, shaving our heads and strapping on the braces. There you have a skinhead looking for a fight, skinhead, skinhead running through the night. Um, and I just think it would be fun, really fun to write those songs, not not because of the content, but <laughs> try, like trying to emulate a sound and a style that you're not really into would kind of be a fun, a fun challenge, you know. And, you know, apart from if you don't dig too deep into the lyrics, I guess it's kind of it's kind of fun. But that, but, that, but that music has no business being any good and they're catchy and you know um, they're so good some of them are so good that I'm certain some people some loose units have played them unironically and 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 gotten into it for sure I, yeah. I um I came across a uh, alleged apparent like it was a bit of a rumor that um apparently they approached actual uh, neo-Nazi bands or, or skinhead bands in Australia to use their music in those scenes, and apparently when those bands saw the movie, they refused because they weren't it. The movie wasn't glorifying skinheads, right? Mm. So uh, allegedly, neo-Nazis themselves didn't think it was glorifying well, not enough Nazis for them. They were like, this is, you know, Hando, they're like, Hando might be good, but he, he doesn't win. It's a bit of a pussy. Yeah, they lose. <laughs> he does become a pussy. Uh, I do, I do, that's my only, we'll come back to music in a second perhaps, but I, I am hurt that um, Hando becomes Bane. You mentioned Bane in, um, mm. in Batman, uh, the third Batman film. And um, he, Hando becomes a pussy in that third act. And it's a shame. Don't you think? <laughs> well, I mean, sort of... I, I I didn't mind that because he's not meant to be a supervillain in a comic book movie. He's <laughs> he's just some dude, and you go, oh, so. And to me, that's like even another kind of example of how it's not glorifying skinheads at all. Even the one that you thought was like the hardest, most capable one in a certain scenario proves himself to be a little bit of a bitch. But but he does he does lose sort of what he's built though like like the cops come and raid his place well first of all the Vietnamese kind of you know beat them and take over their joint and burn it down then they have to find a new place then the cops come in and kill the one guy and arrest all the all the others so he's on the run um, and, and they fuck up that robbery so you know it is a downward spiral you know yeah I suppose it's just the way he's talking to Davy and stuff he just seems like really pathetic and maybe that's the point. And, yeah, um, I, I kind of saw it as a point. Whereas, if uh, I think if he, if you want to make a supervillain, he would have lost everything, but then gone away to start somewhere again and rebuild from the ground up and come back and be a threat, mm-hmm. as opposed to I think what's yeah. a lot more real of as he starts clinging and he he completely loses all the power in that relationship. When at the beginning he had all of it, so he had he was the leader of the gang. He had the girl first. Davy did what he said and now he's like Davy's always got left and you know through his own because of his own doing and he like has to just start pleading to to hang on to the one thing he's got left 
And Davey's going to jail, right? Like, he's not... Yeah. I mean, they should all go to jail. Right? Yeah, they should. We just have to stick together. I'm not afraid. She's sick, mate. She's trouble. She doesn't really want you, she'll just use you. You won't get nowhere with her, Davy. She needs medicine or something. She's my problem, isn't she? Listen to me. Take your hands off me. Sick of listening to you, all right? She's desperate. She'll drag you down, Davy. But be, before we leave the music, I, I really like the ending of the beach. So that whole fight scene, like you got this just amazing dense noise. And, and if you listen carefully, you can hear this distant like German guys like just chanting and yelling in yes. German. And it's really effective when Hando gets stabbed in the neck and the sound just drops dead. Uh, you know, silence can be more effective than a music music sting mm. quite often. And... Um, I think it works really well. Yeah, it's it's it, on the big screen. It would have been total chaos. You'd just be lost. You know, these people are just smashing each other in the waves and screaming. And then you've got this. You've got that that uh, crazy music going on. It would it would be really immersive. Yeah, I'd imagine. There's, there, there's so much anger in that sound. You know, and it's and it's when Hando is, I guess, at his yeah most uncontrollable and 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 angry. And Davey's crying know. as well. Like. You know, yeah, he's gonna have to kill his friend. Yes, yeah. It's a time for who's your daddy. Now we're going to do something extremely fun. We're going to play a wonderful game called Who is my daddy and what does he do? Alrighty, so bit of a quick one this time around. Um, Good one's a quick one. <laughs> well, you know. So first up, we've got. Right, so do you want to get the intro? It's the first mano of the year. Do you probably tell people what the game? <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So, so this is uh, so a lot of the times when you know we'd watch kind of movies like this, you'd, you'd kind of be looking for father figures. So, in this one, I'm going to present uh, Astro and Ricky uh, a couple of options for potential father figures, and they have to choose which one they'd prefer to be their dad. So, starting off, Hando, played by Russell Crowe, pros. He's a leader. Strong, driven, capable, charismatic. Cons, psychopath, murderer, neo-Nazi. Degenerate, too, as well. Uh, <laughs> next one, Davey. Pros, he's a little nicer than Hando and not a total psychopath. Cons, racist, neo-Nazi, degenerate. Uh, next one, pedo dad. He's rich, but he's a pedo. And the last one is the Vietnamese dad. So he's a good businessman, seems to be a good dad, he's buying a restaurant for the kids. Cons, he should have done some more fucking research into the suburb where he was buying the pub. So, um, 
I don't think you're going to have fun with any of these guys, but uh, that's what we got. I should have added Pommy Bill in hindsight. I think Pommy Bill, <laughs> I should have put him in there. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, look, this is, a, this, is, this is really hard. So, look, obviously you're drawn to Vietnamese dad, but to be honest, oh, God, they work so hard. You know, like he high expectations. You'd be really because you'd be going to Melbourne Uni and he'd be getting your work every night as well. Yeah, so that's that's, right. that's tough. Um, pedo dad, great setup. Like it's it's a tricky one, you know. Um, well, that's the thing. Rich, well educated, creative in the arts in several facets of the mm. arts, and clearly done very well in them. Mm. He he is only into chicks though, so I think uh, John and I will be safe there. We we won't be getting buggered. Oh, I don't know, because her brother turned out to be gay. I'm not sure if we were meant to read anything into that as well. Is that how it happens? Your dad diddles you and then you turn gay? Sometimes. <laughs> so sometimes. So, uh, okay, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Well, then, look, the neo-Nazis, one thing that I like about Hando, fit, you know, so good modelling, like he's, he does a bit of a workout, that's, that's you know... Mm. That's good. And a reader as well, you know, like there's not, I, th- I feel that's really important to me. He was also humming along to the opera that was playing when they um, broke into Peter Dad's place. So you yep. get the sense that maybe he's from. Uh, a, maybe a he's not middle family. class. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm. Like a private schoolboy, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. That, that's, a, that's a side, but that's, yeah, that's interesting. Layers. Well, yeah, so I do like that. Um, look, I don't know. The neo-Nazi thing just doesn't... What do you reckon, Ricky? Is that too... Is that a bit much or...? It, it is a bit much. It would be a stain on you for the rest of your life, I think, yeah. if you were. I mean, and, I mean, we've already got a bit of a... Almost like a surrogate son to him uh, who gets shot in the eye by the cops. So that's right. probably happening to you. But Davey's yeah. probably going to leave the life, so... Yeah. And he didn't kill anyone, so he might get out. Yeah, and I think he he would have some life lessons to pass on for sure, having having been a neo Nazi and and reformed. Yes, see, this so is good. I, I like. This. I'm I'm leaning towards Davy. Yeah, sure. although Davy was a little bit of a simp until the very end as well. Well, he came through in the end. He did kill Hando, and he got the girl. Yeah, he came through in the end, but he got he was you know he um he bailed on his lifelong friends for uh, this chick. Yeah, and tough. I mean, she was yeah. bros before hers. Well, I mean, where's his? What's his code then? You know what I mean? And he kind of yeah. he goes along with it. He goes along with all of it until this chick comes in, and it's like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to leave you guys. And it's not like she was some innocent. Like if she had been some sort of prisoner or something, and then you know, he goes, oh, okay, this is all fuck. I'm going to do it. Like I mean, she was kind of horrible for her, herself that's all right well ricky what do you reckon I, I i think i'm gonna have to go davy well um i'm gonna go with the vietnamese dad because i'm not racist so <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, this apart, was all a ruse apart from yeah, the assumptions was. you made about him making you work hard and going to melbourne uni that was me just that was like donnie brasco i was i was undercover <laughs> and i had to do some stuff and now this is what i really believe and ricky's a racist and i'm not so you win <laughs> I, I <laughs> you win romper stomper i, yes. I win romper stomper. 
So do you guys want a bit of trivia perhaps next? Yeah, go on. Yep. So Daniel Pollock, the guy who plays Davey, he committed suicide before the film was released. Oh, my God, really? Yeah. So, I mean, he, he could have been... Uh, he was know, awesome. This could have launched him like Russell Crowe, so... I wondered you know, why. I mean, really look, sad. it's so silly to say, like you know, that's terrible. Just because he's he's we lost a human life, but I wondered why I'd never seen him again. Yes, you know, yeah. and I was just like, "What? That guy's he's really good." Yeah, yeah. And if you see him on on the IMDb page, it's just the shot of him in Romper Stomper. So you're like, you that's know, sad. Yeah. So the character of Hando was originally written for Australian actor Ben Mendelsohn. Mendo. However, Mendelssohn didn't look menacing when his head was shaved. Uh, and when, when, when Wright decided that Mendelssohn didn't have the look, the role went to Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe, just while we're on him, he is a superstar. And you can, you can tell he's a superstar straight away. There are no accidents, okay? There are untalented, uh, untalented people working out there for sure. But I think I'm going to say it's rare for someone as talented as this to be overlooked. I don't. I just. I've heard pearly things say it when they're talking about like chicks who think they're eights and nines and stuff. And she says she just goes, "If you're a nine or a ten, you get modeling contracts, you know. So if you are a ten, people f- will will be killing each other to sign you up. Mm. You know what I mean? So this guy, he is a a, a bona, fi- bona fide cinema star. You can tell he leaps off the screen. There are people in this movie who are who are He's lifting just by being there around him, but he is totally engaging. He's got yeah. that thing. Well, uh, Crow's performance in this film is what convinced uh, Curtis Hansen to cast him as Bud White in L.A. Confidential. So he went from this this you know successful Australian movie to uh, to Hollywood. That's the um, same story with um, Black Hawk Down. So you know Ridley watches Chopper and then puts Eric Banner in Black Hawk Down. Mm. We just we return to the beginning where we're talking about. Cinema, making cinema, and now cinematic actors, they don't stay. They mm. don't stay. When you've got it, you're off. You're gone. Uh, you'll like this one, John. So the opening scene at Footscray Station was actually sh- actually shot at Richmond Station because Footscray Station has no underground walkway. That's my station. So that's your station. I wondered why it was all looking very familiar. Mm. Uh, director Jeffrey Wright spilled a glass of red wine on reviewer David Stratton at the at a film premiere in Venice. This was two years after the premiere of Romper Stomper, and it's because uh, Stratton refused to rate the film on his movie show, which uh, again, uh, as I said earlier, we'll get into him during the reviews. Um, now, getting into the juicy trivia here. In the, er- in the early print of the film at the Toronto International Film Festival, the sex scene with uh, Daniel Pollock and Jacqueline McKenzie was even longer and more graphic than in any subsequent DVD release. There were very few edits, just one long sex scene that was obviously unsimulated, as you could see insertion. In the DVD's commentary track, director Jeffrey Wright too confirmed that some of the sex on screen was real. And Russell Crowe said about his sex scene in the film that he engaged in unintentional sodomy with actress Jacqueline McKenzie. So that's a lot to take in. <sighs> that's a lot. How do you feel about these sex scenes now? Mm. Yeah, I stand by my feelings. <laughs> it's made it better. <laughs> it's, made them, it's made them better. That's what you want to hear. <laughs> 
<laughs> you sexist pig. <laughs> well, these days I heard, um, oh, shit, was it Langella who got fired from yes. his series because <laughs> yeah. he touched um, an actress's thigh? Yes, Frank Langella. I'm so glad you said that. So back in the day they were doing unintentional and, and this sodomy. is not this is not touched her th- this was he touched her thigh as part of a sex scene that they were filming not you know yes at the at the fucking lunch table or something this was and the whole thing was shut down and he got recast and they reshot his part and he's finished really like yeah. that was the end of him I, so... I, well I, I read something about him saying this was going to be his final thing anyway but it was a part that he absolutely loved and he was so psyched to be going out on a part like this, and then, yeah, mm. and then he touched someone's leg. Fucking pig. So I got I got two last bits of trivia here. So in March two thousand, uh, British prisoner Robert Stewart uh, bludgeoned his cellmate Zahid Merberek to death with a wooden table leg. Um, uh, and in 2004, Stuart was found guilty of the racially motivated murder and was jailed for life. Stuart compared himself to Hando in Romper Stomper as well as uh, Alex DeLarge in A Clockwork Orange. And uh, another, uh, another case like this, uh, Dylan Roof, uh, the perpetrator of the Charleston church shootings, had an image of Hando uh, dying on the homepage of his personal website. So... There you go. Monkey see, monkey do. Because I'm sure watching this movie was the only thing that led these people to their actions. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I was saying earlier. You know, I, I believe that these two uh, characters would have would have uh, carried out these attacks regardless. Oh, 100%. Uh, regardless of Romper Stomper existing. Think know. about it. Like, the, I mean, we're talking about an era when cinema had such a purchase on people that they, you know, that, that this was a worry that they were going to enact things from it now i mean fucking hell like if the person who killed me said that they you know liked clockwork orange then you can tell them from me that i appreciate their work do you know what i mean so because then you, you you could say i hate that you killed john but at least he would appreciate that you cared about cinema <laughs> but it, it was also wasn't at the point of um bowling for columbine that they were trying to blame um, Marilyn Manson. Marilyn Manson. Yeah. yeah. And the, the title of the film was, well, they went bowling that morning. Would you blame bowling for it? Yeah. So it's... But, but he's been cancelled and maybe you should be cancelled for... Mm. Marilyn Manson or, or Michael Moore? No, Michael Moore's still a fat idiot. So he's, he's rolling on. <laughs> yeah, not that but I'm... Marilyn Manson... Not that I'm he's, like a Michael Moore fan, but... He, Marilyn Manson's been... Um, Questioned on social media. <laughs> That's enough, isn't it? <laughs> isn't that enough? Sure. <laughs> no, no, no. That's as good as that's as good as anything else. That was locker room talk. Uh, I'm not proud of it, but it is things that people say. All right, John, hit us with some locker room. Okay, talk. all right. So, a few things. Some may call the actions and beliefs of Hando and his gang toxic masculinity. I think this is wrong. I say we call it simply masculinity. From what I've read on the internet, I have come to the conclusion that every man you know wants to fight, collect Nazi memorabilia, and have penetrative sex with women. Just try and deny the charges, gentlemen. Huh? You can't. In this way, <laughs> Romper Stomper is a documentary of sorts. Well, I can't deny two out of three. <laughs> <laughs> you pig. 
these men are damnable representatives of the patriarchy, which is why we should hate their very existence. However, much seems to be made of Hando and his gang's anti-Semitism. This is confounding uh, because, as we've seen, uh, as we've been told time and again from the from the left progressives, uh, Jewish people don't count, uh, nor do Asians, who we know now are white adjacent and complicit in the downfall of proper minority communities. Nor should they get into Harvard, for that matter. Uh, and hopefully so, we'll... so you're saying this is basically white and white crime and Whoopi Goldberg wouldn't give a shit about it? You have, like the precogs in Minority Report, you have prefigured what I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> it is difficult to see the brawl in the alleyway between the skinheads and the Vietnamese as anyone, anything but white on white adjacent crime. Uh, as you as as Yuri quite correctly pointed out, Whoopi Goldberg has ma- ma- made much recently of the Holocaust being simply a case of white people being mean to other white people, and which I think is something we can all get behind. Uh, now, this is a little, little, little thing here, but uh, Magoo, one of the Canberra crew, says to his your favourite skinhead chick uh, from Canberra, "I'm not living with no fat bitch." He says to her when she's hoeing into a chip butty, I believe it's called. Um, this is disgusting fat phobia. Okay. And essentially as bad as the N-word. So fat lives matter. Yep. This is what I'm trying to say there. Uh, but there is just one glimmer of progressive light when the two and two men kiss, uh, even if it is the skinheads assaulting the two men to make them do it while they scream gay slurs in their faces. Uh, we'll take what we can get. I forgot about that. Um, they should be the main characters, I suppose. I was alarmed to see during the sex scene between Hando and Gabrielle that she was... And look, these aren't my words, gentlemen. It's the words of the patriarchy. That she, Gabrielle, was being taken from behind. Okay, Ricky? Doggy style, I think they <laughs> referred to it as. Uh, or, as I am going to call it, the rapist's delight. Okay? <laughs> there is no way... Any woman would get on all fours and be entered in this disgusting, submissive <laughs> position. Okay? Getting dogged, I believe it's also called. <laughs> I suppose that's good, is it, Yuri? Getting dogged? I'm, I'm stuck on rapist delight. It, 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 it sounds like a flavour from the worst box of Rose's chocolates you've ever been given. <laughs> oh, what's this colour? Ooh, on Rapist the card, delight. looking at the card, and yeah. you're like, oh, I think I might have the Turkish delight instead. Uh, I can only hope in the soft reboot, which we've yet to see, that we see Hando's equivalent getting pegged from behind because that's beautiful. Don't kink shame. Uh, that's beautiful, and the scene we have is disgusting. Okay. Um, now, just finally, uh, perhaps the most to- toxic element of the film is that all the socio-political commentaries merely window dressing for the message of the film, don't cut your mate's grass. Uh, men have this retrograde attitude that it's not appropriate to nail the ex-girlfriends or, or let your friends be with them or, what, or your current girlfriend. This, this is why masculinity is cancerous. The ideal relationship has no boundaries, okay? You should not just let your partner get railed by big studs and bulls, but you should encourage it. Men need to accept the cuck life and drop this whole bro code nonsense. So that's what I have. Uh, what else? Anything to add? I think your co- comment about the um, masculine chicks, there's something in there that I didn't pick up. But uh, 
I think that's it's bigotry of a kind. I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know whether I don't know whether it's good or great. You know, yeah. is it is it fucking beautiful, or that you know, or is it disgusting? Is it hatred? Is it love? I don't know. Well, it's probably it's it's portraying the trans community as uh, as psychopaths and mentally deranged. Mm, I think perhaps. given that we're three white guys talking, no matter what we say, it's wrong. Yeah, well, it is. It is wrong. So, I yeah, I don't know. I, I No, I think that's why you just got to be... You, you just got to say, I'm sorry. <laughs> More. Like Fry in that Futurama episode. Yeah, sorry. Says, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. So, how does it rate on our toxic scale? Um... You can't get more toxic than this, sure. <laughs> I think it might be pretty toxic. Well, I mean, she, um, Gabe, she does actually end up having a lot of power. She mm. breaks up the gang. She kind of, which is she, what she leads do. them to the break-in. She <laughs> kind of, she, she has a lot of sway over the movie, like more so than than the women in Heat, for example. Uh, yeah, look, I don't know. The fact that I still can't stop thinking about Jacqueline McKenzie getting railed in that scene i just think it's it's the, it's just the hottest thing i've ever seen it's so good <laughs> she's smoking hot her body's smoking hot the way she moves it everything i think that's enough for me this is a this is i'm toxic so <laughs> <laughs> all right that's a 10 then so that's made it more toxic or, or, or less i'm or, or... i'm radioactive so <laughs> it's just i need to be stopped she needs to be stopped i need to be stopped and that's the end. Of it. <laughs> I, I guess we're giving it tens. Yeah, I'm giving it. I 10. think so. I can't. I can't, I can't not mm. give it a ten. Well, let's talk reviews. Uh, Melbourne Age called it uh, mainly an excuse for loads of rude words, bashings, running up and down alleys, and around abandoned factories. <laughs> How do you like that? You know, just, just seeing it, seeing it on on its face value, right there. You know, didn't dig any deeper at all. Fucking wowzers. <laughs> you know, just like. Uh, but also like... running down alleys, not uh, lots of rude words. Like they, they they didn't even they didn't even like like bash it properly. They didn't even call it like you know racist or or you know, know. xenophobic yeah. or anything. It's like yeah. Rude words and running down alleys. It's like Jesus. Yeah, yeah. The the only hint you get there is bashings. Yeah, isn't that weird? Uh, bashings. Um, I don't know. So if you grew up like we did in the eighties, nineties, and maybe the early two thousands, uh, there was a show on Australian TV called The Movie Show, and it was hosted by Margaret Pomerantz and uh, David Stratton. It was kind of a famous show for a long time, and they'd review movies. So uh, famously, David Stratton, uh, he, he refused to give it a rating like because they gave it, you know, stars out of five. And he, he uh, just thought it was totally abhorrent. And, uh, He's famously curmudgeonly as well like he is you know, and margaret and, and, was a lot more freewheeling and she she loved all the band movies she you know yeah. bays moir and she, she gave this this film four and a half stars she, she thought it was one of the most important films uh, australia has made the, the only thing about that is she's a shill though like i you know i agree with what she says i think it is a great movie but she's a total shill she would give anything australian like that's right yes four or five yeah, yeah, just yeah. she 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 jacks up australian films um i think just because they're Australian, because she, she, I guess in her, in her mind, that's her, you know, trying to support the film industry. But um, I think it does it a disservice because you go to some of these Australian movies back in the day, 
based on her opinions and you'd be like man this this sucks well that's because they were the critics in australia at the time so they were our, our kind of answer to siskel and ebert so stratton refusing it with yeah uh, that was a big yeah. deal it's not like some you know metacritic reviewer or, or rotten tomatoes reviewer what have yes, you got these yeah. days and and their show was good because i think they had they had this clashing personality yeah he yeah. was the old curmudgeon and she was sort of like Hippy dippy, the hip, sort of. yeah, hippy dippy, but but sort of slightly outrageous. Yeah, and uh, she, she, had this she, a, a she was there fashion as well. When, like, would screen a film that the cops would come, and you know that was stuff she would do. I know that people see it as a racist film. I profoundly disagree. I can't score it at all. I'm afraid this is a dangerous film. So, but but in Variety, David Stratton did say, "Rarely has there been such a disturbing, essentially misconceived pick." He should say. The last thing I want to do is give this this movie any more publicity. So I'm going to do an uh, I'm uh, an outrageous thing that I never do uh, publicly and not give it a rating and make yes. a big deal of it. And then you <laughs> and go, then everyone's going to go and see it. And you go, this is is this going to work? Yes. Well, let me uh, let me end here on on the New York Times. So Stephen Holden wrote, if Romper Stomper has a message. Uh, it is a nastier contemporary version of the same misunderstood kids message that permeated the 1950s movies like Rebel Without a Cause. Uh, for these alienated, frightened losers from unhappy family backgrounds, the skinhead way of life is just a hook on which to hang their rage. It's the same Hollywood liberals, you know, that remind me of Wesley Strick, uh, the writer of Wolf. Yes. You know, which we covered uh, mm. last year. Just this kind of 90s Hollywood liberal, you know. Mm. And what a bunch... What a bunch of pussies. Yeah. You know? Like, the, it's the inability to, to... be. We've already talked about it all, but the inability to see that this is a piece of art and that ambivalence and, you know, complex and challenging ideas is, is important to art. I mean, you're, you're... What's wrong with you? That's proper art. Like, what, you, what it should be black and white. The moral should be black and white. Like, it should be, you know... I mean, it's... Uh, that's so asinine and silly that attitude and and um well that that attitude is now is now consensus you know like, yes it's policy like you, you, uh, like you know we haven't seen the remake that that came out a few years ago now but I, you, you couldn't make this film in, in today's climate i would stake my life on there being some pretty um on the nose black and white nonsense in the in the uh the re the re soft reboot you know, it's impossible. Like, like the too much time's passed. It's um that moment was was you know he sort of talks about it like the funding bodies saying, oh geez, you we're scared of your film and it's dangerous, but you know we've got to be pushing the boundaries and stuff. He's like, oh they'd never say that now, and he's acknowledged that it's the atmosphere is is not there to create this kind of thing. You know, this is I, I say the same shit all the time, but I I I want to bottle whatever the nineties had a lot of dumb stuff in it, but one thing that was there. Because I remember it, you know, and I've talked about this before. It's that it's that in the zeitgeist, this idea of comedy being dangerous, and you know, people were reading Train Spotting and 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 buying the soundtrack to Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, reading that book, and you know, watching Romper Stomper, and you know, there was this sort of dizzy and watching anime from Japan that was totally outrageous, and there was just this this. I don't know, swirling of pushing of the boundaries and, and um, uh, trying to find the edges of human experience. And, and there was being offensive was 
something and i've brett easton ellis said this um in an interview i saw just the other day he's so good uh, you know author of uh, american psycho he said he goes we were at gen x his his career his era he's like we wanted to be offended he's like that that was something that we we, we craved you know what i mean like like th- these arguments about rompers number are totally moot you used to want you used to look at the cover and go oh i hope this offends me I hope this pushes me. I hope this is. I'm scared, but I'm 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 going to get it out, or I'm going to watch it. You know, that is that is totally missing now. That is not a thing. It's totally not a thing. People go, they like these series and everything, but they this movie's fucking off the chain. There's nothing like that out there. Not really. I would I would posit. What have we got in the cards for next month's Mano? <laughs> well. Next month, Mano. Oh, well, we can do this uh, live on the air. We got we got quite a few that are in the pipeline. Uh, I really wanted to do in the line of fire, Clint, which I which I love because we haven't. We it's just a great movie. We just have a great time. There's been some talk of, you know, covering some other things. Like we've had cliffhanger on the on the horizon for a while. <laughs> are we not doing something in Black History Month? It in is the vein Black, of Black History Month. It is Black History Month. So you know, we 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 could. We could probably do something in that uh, in that vein. Um, I mean, we could we know. could do some Wesley Snipes. Well, I think we maybe we should we should do some Wesley Snipes. Well, can I can I? Suggest oh, I know what you're gonna say. <laughs> what? White man can't jump. Yes, white man can't jump. That movie was so big. It was big. It was huge. I recorded the the song on the radio on my cassette player. I just watched it over and over. I don't think it's a kids' movie. No, no. And so yeah. Well, let's fucking do it. Let's do it. Pick the chump. Okay. <laughs> All right. Good. <laughs> well, uh, yes. Uh, well, we said what we said. Indeed. And until next time. Don't be a pussy. Don't be a pussy. I hate that you killed John, but at least he would appreciate that you cared about cinema.